Hey, hey, folks, and welcome to Breaking It Down on the Breakdown 707 Podcast Network. Today, it's another interview, this time with Cody Falk, and I'm so excited for you guys to hear this one. I'm sitting up, it's 4am, I've just finished editing it, and I fucking, I love this conversation so much. You're gonna have such a good time. We talk all about games and stories and storytelling and what's important, and it turns super feel-good and wholesome toward the end, which I wasn't expecting, but I'm so here for it. It was such a fun time. Absolutely loved it, and I'm certain you will too. Anyway, as always, all relevant links are in the show notes. Quick plug that I don't make like any money of this, so if you want to sling me some money, I've got a Kofi page. It's also in the show notes. Super appreciate it. Um... (laughs) Yeah, that's it. I'm not going to hold you because I recorded another intro and it's way too long. But yeah, without further ado, here's the show. I was talking to my wife the other day about uh, normalizing. You know, everyone uses the word normalizing, and and it's a good thing when it's a good thing. But like, I don't I don't want people to normalize Twitter. Twitter's horrible. <laughs> Twitter, Twitter sucks, works. dude. Twitter's <laughs> awful. It's, it's a trash fire. You know, it's we're like, we're only that normalized. We're trapped. Like we can't yeah, leave. Yeah. This is this is just our our least bad option. Let's not normalize the least bad option. But again, very 2020. <laughs> 2020. The time your grandma asked how to get on Twitter. Oh man. Like, oh no. Um, oh no. <laughs> yeah, I was just curious. I was gonna check out Twitter. No, no, you're not. Don't, <laughs> don't do it. Go it's do some. God, do go do some netting or something. Do some. <laughs> Anything. Take up skateboarding. I don't <laughs> care. Just not Twitter. Please no. I will buy you a skateboard if you promise never to make a Twitter account. <laughs> oh, I needed that. That, that, yeah. that helps. <laughs> well, hey, it's all downhill from here, so... Uh, so my name is Cody Falk. Uh, I use the he, him pronouns. Um, I, uh, so I have, I'm 37. So I have a long, uh, a long and interrupted history with uh, tabletop role-playing games. Um, I, God, I think I started playing role-playing games when I was probably like seven, eight, maybe. Uh, my first, first role-playing game was the, uh, I think it was TSR made a uh, Marvel superheroes uh, game and absolutely loved it. Played it forever before I even knew what role-playing games were. And then I got into Palladium's riffs of all things for years. And then pretty much all the way through high school. And then uh, after I graduated high school, I was aware of role-playing games, but didn't play anything. Didn't play in an actual game, except for maybe a one-off here or there like once until I was like, geez, I don't know, early 30s, 32, maybe something like that. And finally, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to get back into it. I used to love this stuff. And it was right about the same time 5th edition D&D had come back out or had come out. And uh, I was aware it was out. But I mean, I I had barely even played D&D, really. We played World of Darkness and other stuff, but um, I hadn't 
touched it much. And so uh, I found one of those websites. Um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, it was meetup.com, which people use for all sorts of stuff. And I was like, God, you know, how do I'm an adult? How do people even meet each other at this point? You know, I have no idea. And uh, so I, I ended up uh, finding a group to play Pathfinder with. And it was awful. Uh, it was not a good game. <laughs> it was, it was and, and I'll get more into the, into the later talking about crunch and such, but it just, it, it just wasn't, it wasn't great. It, everybody had other stuff they were juggling and didn't go well, but that led to another game and that game kind of sort of fell apart. And then ultimately that led me to fifth edition D and D, which uh, the group that I started playing with uh, five years ago is the group that I still play with today, actually. Um, it's it somehow inexplicably, we play every week for a couple hours and, uh, I'm, I'm one of the, the lucky few that actually gets to play D and D frequently. But, uh, so that's been five years or so. And over those five years, I got more and more involved in, uh, designing stuff for, uh, D and D and, uh, more recently other games as well. Um, not nearly so much just because uh, it's never been my day job to do game design or anything like that. It's always just kind of been my, my moonlighting type deal. And so time is a factor. Um, I've got, I've got a family and everything and, and a full-time day job. So trying to fit stuff in is always tough, but um, I'm really trying to also branch out beyond just D and D and all that. But uh, I would say that I'm more inclined to make stuff for games than to make games, uh, simply just because of the time constraints. Although I do love making games, and I've I've made a handful, um, not probably probably not as many as I'd like, but uh, you know, a handful at least. But it's a little easier to take existing games and kind of make stuff for them, and that's kind of my um, kind of my focus for the most part. Um, I tend to focus most on. Um, not just mechanics, but I'll say mechanics, but stuff like game balance and mechanics and um, making systems work for the narratives you're trying to to push. So if your game is about X, Y, and Z, what I really think that I, I bring to the table is I I can help make a system or make mechanics that give that kind of feel that you're looking for, that theme that you're looking for. And I'm especially fascinated by specialty type games where it's like games like uh like off the top of my head dread for instance where it's like you know what you're getting with dread dread is not intended to be a play any kind of genre or anything in dread dread is a horror movie kind of game and that's what you get you know it, it does what it says on the 10 right and i love games that the not everything has to be a swiss army knife right and so i like the idea that you can have a tool for any given job D and D's good at what it's good at. Dread's good at what it's good at. Uh, you know, Wretched and Alone games are good at what they're good at, and it's okay to specialize. I think, and so I, I'm just now kind of getting into more exploring what other kind of specialty games there are and and what exactly that means and that sort of thing, and and that's kind of where I'm at currently. Yeah, I think we touched on uh, you touched on it a little bit, but I'm interested in kind of delving into uh, the sort of the stuff you've written, the stuff you designed kind of um where it's coming from both on a on a personal maybe the wrong word but on a kind of sort of your general yeah. like interests and the more sure, like, sure, personal sure. thing and also the kind of 
like the kind of me- mechanics you're kind of keen on creating, yeah, yeah. whether that's because of things you've played before that you were like, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I, I played this game and it didn't quite work, but I wanted to, like, I, I had a thought that if this thing changed, then it could be this, so I made this thing, or just something you really liked and wanted to make more of, or so on. Yeah, yeah. So, so from a general aesthetic kind of thing, I... I'm not real big on slapstick. I'm not real big on sillier kind of games. Now that said, I have absolutely run Honey Heist and it was the most ridiculous thing we've ever done and it was a lot of fun. So it's not, you know, it's not that I'm completely opposed to a silly game, but for like for, you know, a one shot or whatever, yeah, that's cool. But like if I'm if I'm going to be invested in a game, um, I tend towards the the more serious and the the, the darker, even, even grim dark in a lot of cases. You know, um, uh, you know Warhammer type type stuff. Um, but I, I want um, I, I always kind of compare it to uh, maybe like uh, like like Firefly, the the old sci fi show. Like. I'm good with putting humor in it. I think humor definitely has a place in games and, and needs to be there, but I don't necessarily want it to be the focus. And, you know, if I was watching Firefly, I was laughing at parts of it, but there was serious stuff going on in the background at all times. You know, there was a real tone of desperation or whatever th- those more serious themes. I tend towards that. And so with pretty much everything I make, I, I've got to have some of that in there or I'm just not going to be interested. And to kind of to, to maybe branch off a little bit, I think it still ad- addresses what you were asking. Um, my, when I make stuff, as I said, this isn't my day job. Um, don't get me wrong. I like to get paid for, for work <laughs> and such like that. But my primary thing has always been having fun doing it. Now, again, I'm not going to work for free or anything, but when I make something, I ask myself, do, am I proud of this thing? And did I have fun making it? And will other people have fun using it or playing it? And if I can't say yes to all three of those things, I just, I, I just, I'm just not interested. I don't, I, I don't need another job. I, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't have enough time in a day to have another full-time job. Uh, so what am I, you know, what am I spending my time on? Why am I doing this if not to make something that I'm proud of or something that people will enjoy and, and for me to enjoy? If I have to make this thing and it just feels like work, well, now now it's just another job. So I don't want that. If I'm not proud of it, I mean, I don't know. I, I just, it's not, it's it's just not the, it's not what I want to put out there. I don't want to tell people, look at this thing I made and it just looks like it's been put together with spit and rubber bands, you know? Um it's, I don't, I don't know if that's just me being vain or what, but I just, I, I want it to be good. And then ultimately it's a game. And I, <laughs> recently I had that poll on Twitter about does a game need to be fun to be a good game? And there's all sorts of opinions on that. And uh, there's all sorts of opinions on what defines fun and, and all that. But ultimately for me, it's, I have to be able to engage with something in a positive way. So, meaning I want to engage with it again. I want to, I, I look forward to doing it. If I have to dread it, I don't want to do that. I worked in corporate America for 10 years uh, for a, a really, really big company. And I left about five or six years ago and I will, I will never go back to anything like that. It was, it was horrible. It, it was the worst experience I've ever had in my life for, for 10 years. And, uh, 
that I, I remember the feeling of dread waking up in the morning to go, go to work and I don't ever want to feel that way again. So if I'm working on a project or if I'm playing a game and it makes me feel like, Oh God, I don't want to do this. I'm, I'm not going to do it. I, I have to, uh, if I realize that I'll stop. I, I, I just absolutely can't. So I guess my point is I don't ever, I don't ever want to get to that point. And so when I'm working on something, if it's not fun for me, for the other people, if I'm not proud of it, it's not something I need to be working on. And so that combined with my limited time to work on stuff means I'm not nearly as productive as I'd like to be. Um, unfortunately, cause I've got all manner of ideas, of course, but, um, so the stuff that I do make, I try to put a lot of heart into. And, uh, as I said, I like the more serious, I like the more, um, I call it dramatic, I guess, whatever type, type games. I want something I can really sink my teeth into and get invested. And, you know, if my, if my character dies, I'd like to actually feel something about that. I don't want to, I don't want to play a meat grinder type game where, uh, oh, well, you know, your, your character was expected to die. I mean, if it's a one shot or whatever, fine. But if it's something I'm engaged with, you know, a lot, I want to, I want to, I want it to hurt if I lose that, that character or whatever. I want to have some investment in it. And so I like games that have mechanics that support that and um, themes that support that. So I, I often say that my aesthetic with my games is uh, fantasy or sci-fi, but make it metal. Um, I, I like the idea of the, the, um, the, the heavy metal, a little bit over the top, you know, epic things happening. I don't, I don't want to make games where you're a dog catcher and you run around and, and catch dogs and, you know, and wacky things happen. There's a place for that, but that's not me. I'm not good at that. I don't, I don't want to make that. So most of my games have heavier themes, a little more, oh, call it oppressive, I guess, maybe. But I really like the idea of, and this fits with our, our 2020 discussion we were having earlier. I like the idea that um, no matter how bad things are, there's hope, right? So I like the idea that you're, the, the grim dark, everything's horrible, but, you know, but there's a big but there. You can potentially, you know, make a difference. You can actually uh, stand up for something. You be, be a light in dark places kind of thing. And so it's not that I want, you know, uh, a game that just absolutely crushes you, but I want a game that when you defeat what's crushing you, it actually feels like you accomplished something, um, you know, against all odds, you're able to succeed kind of thing. And that's kind of... Honestly, pretty much everything I touch has something of that in there. I would say, yeah, yeah. I think I think that contrast is very is an important thing to do, um, especially in these sort of genres. I think there's there's an argument for the for the opposite. Like if you're making something that's like really sweet and lighthearted and mm -hmm, so on, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you don't necessarily have to put darkness in there for it to be like worth it, or f not mm -hmm. for, to make it like valid as a piece of art. Sure, sure. But mm -hmm. I think um, it is something where I see a lot of things like movies and games and whatever stumble on is the sort of... They want to make it grimdark, so they make it just all dark all the time without yeah. like a shred of right. relief or joy or any right. pause from it, and it kind of just mm -hmm. loses its... It loses its impact more than anything. I, I think it's a, it's a balance to strike. 
it, it's it's normalizing it, right? If you normalize the grimdark so that everything is saturated in grimdark, it doesn't. Nothing stands out. It doesn't. You know, it's it, it, it loses. As you said, it loses its impact. You don't get the. Uh, like some I read somewhere the other day they were talking about like Warhammer 40k. I'm a big 40k fan, but it I read something the other day that said you know you're not supposed to like the bad guys in 40k. Like you're not supposed to like the Imperium. They're horrible. They're they're awful awful people, and you're supposed to acknowledge that and be like, you know, it's it, you're supposed to kind of you're supposed to give it the nod and say yes, they're awful. That's the setting, you know we're not supposed to aspire to this. We're supposed to do better than this. Like it's a cautionary tale. And I think a lot of people miss that. And I know there's a lot of, a lot of uh, debate in the 40 K communities and such right now about that uh, because of various, various things related to that. But I, somewhere along the line, yeah, you can easily fall off that path. And if it's all dark and it's all hopeless, that's a different game. And I don't, I don't want to make those games. And that's that's a really uh, that's a really important point that I'm glad you brought up. Um, for instance, terrain in hell, the the wretched and alone game I did. I mean, you're you're literally in hell. You're all by yourself in hell, surrounded by demons. It's it's bad news bears, and it's a wretched and alone game. You're not gonna you're not gonna win. You're gonna die horribly, probably. But and the game even lies to you. The game tells you that oh, maybe you can you know put down the demons and then they won't break out. You can't, there's no mechanic to do it in the game. I, I absolutely ripped that off from Chris Bissett in the original <laughs> uh, wretched where it says, maybe you can fix the engines. You can't, it doesn't work. Spoiler alert. It's not going to work, but there is that one, you know, you can get the, uh, get the ace of hearts and roll enough things. And there is a mathematically possible chance that you can survive. And, and terrain and hell has the same thing. Lucifer can return with the means to save the world, essentially. It's probably not going to happen, but it can't happen. But one of the most important things I thought that I put in the game was at the very end, it says, okay, the game's over. You probably lost. You know, that was going to happen. However, until you stop playing, until you give up, there's hope. The The only way hope ends is if you just lay down and quit. Otherwise, mathematically, you know, it may take you your whole lifetime to get a, a successful playthrough of, of one of these games, but you can win. It's not completely hopeless. And in the very last page of the, of the game, uh, it says stand defiant against oblivion uh, because that's, that's entirely the point. Like nothing is going to matter if you just quit and give up. And no matter how bad 2020 or anything else is, until you just say, that's it, there's nothing we can do, I give up, it's not over and you can keep trying. And that's ever, everything I write has that uh, theme and aesthetic to it. Even if it's horrible and even if it's oppressive, you can do better. You can still succeed even if it's hard. And it's, uh, I, I don't intentionally put that in everything, but now that we're talking about it, I absolutely have it, at least in the background of everything I make. Um, Cause I think it's important, especially in times like now where it's a mess out there and people need hope. But to your point, I think there's a place for games that are lighthearted and silly and, and make you feel better and, and give you a good laugh and forget about, you know, how horrible things are. Um, and I, I, and I love those games. I, I absolutely do. But I, to me, at least the theme of 
acknowledging things are bad, but there's hope. I don't know. It sticks with me better, I guess. And I, I think there's a lot of other people that resonates with as well. But as we talked about earlier, I also think, you know, a game, games are tools in a lot of ways. And not every game has to be a Swiss army knife. Not every tool has to do every job. If you've got a hammer nails, you can do it with a wrench, but you're going to have a way easier time with a hammer, you know? So maybe, maybe have a hammer and a wrench, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe don't just have one, one tool. I want to ask you, um, talk a little bit about um, Terrain in Hell and, mm-hmm. and the Wretched Jam, because yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's obviously not your first game um, or first no. thing you made, just looking at your catalogue. But I think... Um, yeah, that, that, incidentally, the catalogue is not chronological. It's the prettiest looking stuff on top. So <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, that so don't, don't look at it like that. All right. Um, <laughs> it's, it's 100%, 100% of marketing ploy, I assure you. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I was gonna say like, the the this Troika thing came out later than this. Um, yes, yes, it absolutely did. Um, but I think uh, I talked about this a little bit on uh, when I had Spencer Campbell on. But I think the Wretched mm-hmm. Jam was a really fascinating thing to watch. Uh, and maybe it's just like since I joined the uh, tabletop sphere, uh, mm-hmm. or especially like Twitter and the sort of broader outside of D and D kind of yeah, yeah. tabletop no, I, area. Yeah, sure. Um, where it's like, it's, I think it's spurred so many people to make something and so many people to make like their first thing. Yeah, yeah, but, absolutely. Like, yeah, so like, I, where was, I, I'll why, tell you why did you no. make a thing for it? Like what What sort of, uh, what, yeah, was it just so, seeing the wretched or was it, yeah. What, what triggered so, this so, game? Yeah, so I'm actually, uh, Chris is a really good friend of mine. I've known Chris for a long time. I say a long time. I mean, long in, in some regards. I, when I first got into doing uh, design stuff, uh, the first stuff I did was um, uh, some D&D 5th edition stuff on DMs Guild. Um, I don't remember the exact order of things I did, but the, the biggest thing I have on there was, was The Alchemist. Um, I made a class for that. Um, it's very much influenced by the Pathfinder Alchemist. Um, and it was very, very popular, very successful. Um, and I did a few other minor things, but that was really the big thing. But that's kind of when I started getting into not having a lot of time on my hands. But uh, I don't want to get into the details exactly, but I had a bit of a falling out with DMs Guild over the way they handled certain things regarding... Um, they had these things called mega bundles, and I don't, I don't want to get... a I'll drag through the mud, but back in 2016, uh, I, I didn't exactly like the direction things were going in. And um, in the process of making that stuff and just meeting people in the sphere and everything, uh, I met Chris Bissett, who uh, runs Loot the Room, and he was making pretty cool stuff. And we had talked quite a bit and had similar opinions about lots of stuff, and uh, and that, that continues today. Um, but then I quit DMs Guild, I guess it was 2017, and I didn't make anything for, I guess, a couple years, two or three years. And I just played D&D and did my own thing, and I didn't make anything. And somewhere along the line in there, Chris and I kind of just stayed in touch, and you know, we, we, we were just friends. And once I got back into all this, um, making more stuff, 
we started talking more and more and we talked extremely frequently. So when he said, Hey, I had this cool idea for a solo game. We were talking about it and uh, I love Chris to death. He's got a million ideas. They're all good for the most part. So when he says, Hey, I had this cool idea. I honestly, it was like, of course you have a good idea. Like they're all (laughs) pretty good, man. I never would have dreamed that it took off the way it did. When he told me about the game, I said, Oh, that's cool. Uh, you know, but I didn't know it was going to be exceptional. And then the game comes out and it looks great and it plays great. And I played it right away. And it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, in, in the way that a wretched and alone game is fun. Um, and then you saw the game jam and then you saw people start making their games and it was, it was so cool to watch. I agree with exactly what you said. A lot of people made their first game and they made, they made a thing. A lot of people just have never made a thing realistically let alone a game and it was so cool to see that now i will say i uh if i I think if you're going to make something you need to make something that you're proud of and good and i do think that there are some people out there that don't necessarily have that attitude and they approach things as just ah throw it at the wall and see what sticks and that's okay that's an okay approach but that's not for me but what was really cool about the wretched and alone stuff was I feel like most people, at least off the top of my head, I can't think of anyone who didn't, but most people really put some heart and soul into the stuff. They made stuff that spoke to them um, that, that they really, like I said, my, my three things, you know, I want to be proud of what I do and I, I want it to be fun and I want to have fun making it. I think people really responded in that way. I think they, uh, they made some things that, spoke to them and they were proud of. And that to me is one of the coolest things to see. And I, I will say this, I, I could talk good things about Chris all day. That is hundred percent Chris. Chris wants, and I'll, I'll speak for him here, but uh, Chris wants people to love games. Chris loves games. He wants other people to love them. And, and they, they're such an important part of our, our life and our culture. Um, and and they're so inherent to storytelling. And I know, I know that's important to Chris to see all these people pick this up and get into it uh, because of something Chris made. I know that made him super proud. And for me, I, I made my game super late in the game jam. Mine came pretty close to the end of it. If I remember correctly, and I'll be hundred percent honest with you. I put so much time and effort into it. I, I taught myself um, in design to do the layout for it. I had never touched layout before. I mean, I was aware of it you know, vaguely, but I had never used any real soft, actual software for it or anything. Um, I wanted it to be as close to perfect as possible because it was important. Not, not, not so much the game, but the, the, the movement, if you want to call it that. The, the, wretched game, the wretched and alone games, to me, were so important because of just like you said, people really responded to it and it was an important thing. And I honestly kind of felt like I would be doing the whole thing a disservice if I just phoned it in and just did a, you know, ah, you know put a little bit of effort into this and, and just, you know, put it out there. The goal entirely was to, to, to honor what other folks had, did, had done and what they had made. And people, you know, they put their heart and soul into it. So I need to put my heart and soul into it. And so of all the things I've made, Terrain in Hell is probably the thing like if, if you had to ask me what one game represents or what, what one thing you've made represents your approach to games or how you feel uh, just in general, you know, philosophically, it's a hundred percent that 
I wanted that to not just be a game that you could pick up and play and have fun with, but also a statement, I guess, you know, very, very rarely will you hear me say things like, you know, I wanted to make an artistic statement or whatever with my games. That's, that's not really me, but this time it was for sure. And so I, I, I hope I accomplished that at least, but I, I definitely wanted to, um, to do right by everybody else and Chris for that matter, because it's not a small thing. The wretched and alone system is brilliant for what it for what it does, and again, it's it's a specialty type thing, right? It doesn't it doesn't do everything, but what it does, it does very well. And more importantly, it gets people to tell stories. It gets people to make things, and that's so important. That's everything. And I can't honestly think of another game off the top of my head that's done that uh, in in the way that it did. I mean, you could argue that D and D, you know, make you know gets people involved and stuff, but that's a different animal. That's a different population and everything. This is this is something else, and so I'm I'm absolutely thrilled it did as well as it did. And for me, um, and uh, look honestly, Chris is my friend. I wanted him to be, I wanted him to be proud of me. I wanted him to make something that he was like, man, that's super cool, especially using the tools that he laid out. You know, so there was there was a lot going on with that one. It was not a it, it was not a small thing for me. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, I think it it definitely looks like you've you've succeeded in what you were you were doing with it. I haven't. I've kind of intentionally not touched it too much because I'm doing a a wretched uh, showcase stream where I'm going to mm-hmm, look through mm-hmm. a few things. So I want to come at it pretty fresh when I'm doing that. But just like sure, yeah. what I've seen and what you've told me, now, like it definitely sounds like you've succeeded in making not like a, a cool fucking game but like a, a real like a statement i i you know that that was the hope <laughs> uh i kind of want to ask about about metal because yeah yeah like um it's the thing you said sci-fi or fantasy but make it metal mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sort of what, so what, yeah what's your background in metal <laughs> i'm i'm such a i'm such a poser um no when i so when I was when I was a kid and I was first starting to get into music, I would guess I was probably you know I don't know twelve maybe something like that. I, I couldn't say. Um, I decided you know I'm gonna get a CD player and uh, I'm gonna and, and for the 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 youngins out there, CDs are what music used to be on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it just occurred to me my kids have no idea what a CD is. Oh, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I said you know I want to. Because what every kid desperately wants to fit in, right? And so I was that kid, and I said, I, I want to fit in. What I'm going to like music, and so I went out, and there was a there was a record store right around the corner. Uh, my dad took me over, and I just started looking through albums, and I must have spent an hour there, just flipping through, you know, seeing what looked interesting. And I, I think I think most people can agree, nothing. It is more interesting than the album cover of metal, you know, if oh, yeah. <laughs> metal or otherwise, yeah. they have the best covers, right? It all looks so cool. So, which by the way, if you look at the cover of terrain in hell, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, it's meant to look like a metal cover. <laughs> it's, it's not an accident. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, I flipped through and I, I just, I picked up some stuff and I remember of course, I had the I had the standard like Metallica and, and stuff like that. But um, I also picked up some kind of odd stuff um, in in the grand scheme of things. Uh, uh, there was an Italian band called uh, Domine 
that had super soaring vocal epic uh progressive metal type stuff and i mean it just looked cool you know when i bought it and i started listening to it and i was like oh my god like this is this is good stuff and metal music is i mean there's some so many different kinds and everything but um i my music tastes have gotten a lot more eclectic over the years but metal always has a special place in my heart because it's so um everything about it is epic everything about it is uh there's no metal song at least in my opinion no good metal song that is not passionate about whatever it's it's playing and singing about it's whatever you're listening to even if it's an instrumental or whatever there's passion behind it there's there's anger or there's outrage or there's triumph or whatever emotions it's supposed to make you feel it makes you feel them a million percent and I, I, that resonates with me a great deal. I, I, I don't have a lot of time. If <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you a story that, that will kind of tie all this together. I didn't realize this till, till just now. Um, did you ever see stranger things on, on Netflix and all that? Uh, uh, yeah, I've seen bits of it. Not the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Winona Ryder multiple times throughout the show is, uh, walking through, uh, the house and it's real spooky and the lights are off and all the, the dark twisted things are growing on the walls. And she spends in reality, probably 45 seconds to a minute walking through the house, feeling really spooky with the ominous music. To me, she spent 37 days walking through the house, looking scared. And it, it's just, <laughs> it kills me. I, I'm not, I, I'll, I'll confess. I literally will fast forward through those parts. I know the true horror fans out there will 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 absolutely crucify me for that one, but I I hate it. It takes me about three seconds to understand that. Oh, Winona Ryder is scared. Okay, let's move on. Like, skip ahead till something happens. I just I just don't have time to to, to sit and watch that. So the reason I say that is, if I'm listening to music, you you got to get me there. If I if if you're trying to tell me that you're you're feeling triumphant, make the music triumphant. Don't, don't mess around for 45 minutes. And then at the end be like, Oh, also triumph. You know, like if I'm supposed to feel triumph, make me feel triumph. If I'm supposed to feel anger, make me feel anger. If I'm supposed to feel even happiness, whatever, joy, whatever, get to the point, I guess is is what I'm saying. And I just, I, I need it. I need it to get there and metal music for all of its flaws and everything. It's great at that. If, if it is intended to make you feel a certain way, it gets to the point real quick. It's not subtle. And there's a place for subtlety. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, and again, my, my music tastes have branched out quite a bit. I'm a huge Kesha fan to, to, <laughs> to balance the, <laughs> to balance the, I, I really am. But honestly though, for the same reasons, because Kesha is so unapologetically who she is and her music is, is exactly that. And I respond to that. I want honesty in my music. I want I want to know this is who you are and this is how you feel and this is what you think and just because I don't have time to mess around with anything else. So in my stuff, uh, you know, make it metal. I want the I want the epic scenes. You know, I want I want to feel goosebumps when I play a game. I want I want to know that my character might not survive this fight and if things don't go well, this is you know this this is this is a a big meaningful moment. Now that same token by that same token, if my character is not going to make it, 
I want that death scene. Give me the super cool last stand death scene kind of thing. I don't, I don't want the, oh, you rolled three death saves and now you're dead and let's move on and no one ever talks about it again. That's, that's the worst. Um, I, I, can, I can tell you that uh, I played a game of uh, Age of Sigmar Soulbound by Cubicle 7 recently, and that game has one of the most absolutely great ways of approaching that. The, the game itself is, it's kind of like the fantasy Avengers. Like you're very high, highly powered. Uh, you're not starting off as just some, some slob. You're starting off as more or less a superhero in some ways. And, and it's, it's a very, it's a very metal grim, dark kind of setting, but the combat, the first round of combat you're, I mean, you very well could be on death's door the first round of combat, probably not all the time, but it's not, it's not impossible. And then the next round you're back up on your feet, maybe not back up to full, but you're, you know, you're fighting again and you just absolutely destroy your enemies. And it's very swingy and it's very, it gives you those epic feelings. It takes you real low. It takes you almost to the bottom. And then next thing, next round you're up a hundred feet, a thousand feet in the air on top of the mountaintop screaming in triumph because you won. And I, I love, I love that. And that's metal. You know, that's, that's the aesthetic. It's the, 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 the deep doom of the, of the lows and the soaring triumph of the highs. I want those extremes. Life is, life is, is, you know, a collection of boring moments uh, for the most part, for most folks. I, I'm not playing a game to have, I'm not making a game to, to simulate reality. I'm not making a paperwork simulator. I want, I want epic moment simulator. Cause I'm not killing dragons in the real world. You know, I want, uh, that's what, that's what I need out of a game. So that's, that's a hundred percent why that speaks to me. The, the make it metal type thing. It started off kind of unintentionally, but I've really kind of leaned into it now because personally, that's what I'm looking for in games. And maybe that's not for everybody, but I know there's other folks out there that, that want, that they want those epic moments and such like that. And I hope that, uh, I hope that everything I make kind of provides them with the opportunities to do that. At least that's the, that's the intent behind them. Yeah, for sure. I think that there is such a strong, yeah, just like that thesis statement of metal or like, as you describe it, I think that's a really strong thing to like bring to game design. So as you say, like sometimes you, you don't have time to like be, messing about with the the five out of ten moments yeah you want, yeah you want to you want to get a, to the the twos and the nines because those yeah. are the interesting <laughs> ones now now to the point you made earlier it can't all be twos and nines you can't all it can't have nothing but that because then you normalize that and the twos and nines just become the new fives and so there's a place for it, it's pacing right you have to you have to bring it down you have to have the the, the bridge between the different verses where things do slow down a little bit and it kind of lets you catch your breath a little bit or whatever, but it can't all just constantly be up and down. There does have to be some middle, but I want stuff that focuses on the up and down, not on the middle. Some games, you know, some, some music focuses on the middle and then they just punctuate it with the, the highs and the lows. I, I want it the other way around. I want the highs and lows punctuated by the, the, the middle that isn't quite so, uh, stressful, I guess. Um, I want to ask about um, kind of your background in games, not necessarily like tabletop RPG related, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, I know you made uh, Tell Me a Story. 
Yeah. The, the yeah. storytelling card game. Yeah. And kind of, um, yeah, the background in like board games and that sort of yeah, sure. thing. So growing up, um, I mean, I played every game. I played video games. I played uh, board games. I loved games as a kid. And then, like I said, went off to college and everything and just kind of got busy being an adult, which is... Uh, which which was unfortunate. Um, I play. I I always played computer games. I think um, less so recently, just because I don't have as much time. But uh, board games are one of those things where. I mean, I know there's. I know there are games you can play solo uh, for board games and card games and such. But traditionally, board games or, or tabletop games that aren't RPGs are those games that you can play with other people in person. And that's the other thing: the technology you know, 20 years ago, you weren't, you know, you weren't video conferencing with people. You weren't recording podcasts over discord or anything like that. So tabletop games were, you got together with your friends and you played a game or whatever. I mean, I, I still have a copy of hero quest up in my, uh, in my closet that I should really play <laughs> It'd be a lot of fun now that I think about it. But, um, but board games and I go way back for sure. And so, for a long time, I would say I probably didn't play anything like that uh, as well. Um, and then, I guess it was it was it was not long after I started playing RPGs again. So I, I guess I was thirty three ish or something like that. It was probably a year in or so. Um, one of the guys that I was playing D anD D with, the guy that actually runs our group, um, he had the idea. He was like, "Why? What if we?" Uh, we, we were all still working in corporate America at that point, or some of us were. And he had the idea of, we got to get out of here. <laughs> this is, this is killing us. We don't, we don't like this. We, we didn't work for the same company or anything, but we all had the same experience of this is, this is, this is awful. We don't like this. Let's find a way out. And so we had the idea of uh, starting a game company. And so we started a company, um, four of us, and uh, I'll detail that a little bit, but um we started a company called uh, Escape Hatch Games. And of course, Escape Hatch was entirely uh, intentional because that was supposed to be our Escape Hatch from corporate America. So uh, actually, uh, all four of us came, from, came out of our D&D group. Um, we uh, started, started a company, got the LLC and all that kind of thing, and started working on ideas. And we had ideas for a handful of things. Uh, one of the games was going to be a uh, uh, a tabletop uh, miniatures based game um, called uh, the Shrouded City, and it was going to be this kind of thing where you, uh, uh, you 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 had a had a small team of of characters that you had little minis for, and you explored the city while other people are exploring it, and you're trying to escape before the mist eats you and strange eldritch creatures come after you and all sorts of things like that. And uh, we, we developed that quite a bit. Um, we also had another one, uh, another idea for essentially what was a choose your own adventure book uh, that was more geared towards adults. It was supposed to be like a zombie apocalypse type thing because at the time zombies were very in vogue. Uh, that was a, a, a big, big seller back then. Um, and so we kind of worked, we had a lot going on with that. And then we had this idea for this card game, tell me a story. And the original premise was kind of, Hey, cards against humanity is real popular. We're trying to run a business here. 
what, how can we capitalize on that kind of popularity? And then we just kind of started throwing ideas around. And originally the story, originally the game was going to be called cool story, bro. Uh, because that was the phrase that everybody was using then. And I can't remember why we didn't go with that name. I think it was because somebody already had that name trademarked or something. I can't remember, but I, I, everybody wanted that name and we couldn't do it. So we settled on tell me a story, which is still a fine name and I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of it still. But, um, and the guy, the idea, it was, it was interesting because a hundred percent, the idea started off. I'd love to tell you, Oh, we had this vision and all this. No, the vision was try to make enough money that we can quit our day jobs and do this full time. But as we did it, it really started to kind of take shape. And I really started to kind of, it, re- it really started to resonate with me. And this, this is really the first real game design that I had done. And I realized that I, I am a, I'm a storytelling kind of person. I think telling stories is extremely important. And I think it's very uh, central to the human experience. I, I think most of what we are is, can be couched in terms of the stories we tell. And so I kind of started learning that about myself a little bit. And then as we made the game, the the four of us, we, it, it started to kind of take on a life of its own. And we realized that this is, this is important. Kind of like we were talking earlier about the, the wretched and alone stuff. This, this is something important. This is something that uh, can help people tell stories. And that seems silly, but that's so, that's so big. That's such a important thing. Um, my mom, who is not a storyteller by nature, she she's wonderful at a lot of things, but telling stories is not one of them. And I love her to death, but that's that's just true. If you give her a copy of Tell Me a Story, she can tell you a story. It's bizarre how the game just, I don't know, gives people permission to tell a fun story. Um, probably my most fun story from that whole experience we went to gen con with the game um whatever i don't remember 2017 i guess 16 i can't remember but uh we took it to gen con to to try to sell it and it actually did pretty well um we met all sorts of people some people weren't interested in it at all some people were extremely interested in it the easily the one that impacted me the most was a little boy i'm gonna guess he was six years old maybe something like that he came up and he says, hey, tell me about this game. Now, the game, for the most part, is pretty, it, it, I'd say it's PG-13, but there's a few cards in there. Like one of the cards is like Porn Star and stuff like that. And so as I'm talking to the kid, I'm surreptitiously pulling those cards out so he won't get them, of course. And we play a round of the game with him and, uh, or, you know, a couple, a couple turns or whatever. And the kid's great. He, tell, he just jumps right in. He starts telling a story about, the idea is you lay all these cards out and they all have story elements in them. And then using the rules, you take those cards and you weave a story out of them. And there's a little more to it than that, but that's the basic premise. And this kid just picked it right up and he starts going and I look up and his mom and dad are behind him and they look like they're about to cry. And I'm like, Oh my God, did I, what did I do? You know? Oh no, <laughs> I've done something horrible. And the kid's like, man, this is great. Thanks so much. And he runs off. And the parents kind of look at me and they kind of look at him and they follow him. And I, I look at my buddy who's with me who, who helped make it. And I'm like, what just happened here? You know, we don't know. And about 30 seconds later, the mom comes back over and she 
put slaps down. I forget how much it cost at the time, but she slaps down whatever the money was, and she says, I'll, "I, I want to buy this." And I, I said, "Okay. I mean, are you? What happened? You know?" She said that this kid was. I, I don't. I don't know what his exact situation was or anything, but she said that he he is a painfully shy child who, and I was a painfully shy child, so I can I can relate. But uh, he's painfully shy, and he will almost almost nonverbal. This kid does not speak to anybody hardly. Uh, some with his family, but never outside his family, especially adults. Just he's he's just petrified of of talking to other people and all that. And she said, this is the first time I've ever seen him not just open up to anybody, but talk to an adult, make eye contact and play, you know, play a play a game and have fun doing it in a public setting like this. And she was like, this is this is I, I can't believe this. And so she bought the game and. I'm not going to tell you I cried, but I cried hard. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was easily the coolest moment of that whole thing. And that's when I knew I made something good. You know, whether it's fun and whether all this other stuff, I made something good and right in the world. And I nothing I've ever made has made me feel that validation and that fulfillment. Um, so it's interesting because it started off as a very cynical, let's just make something that people will buy. And it ended up possibly being the thing I'm most proud of, or if it's not, it's, it's way up there. Um, sim- and it kind of sort of happened by accident, but I like to think that there was always kind of that good intent that I just didn't understand or feel at the time. And it later kind of revealed itself to me, but I, ha- I haven't done much with the game. We, we still have surplus copies. Escape Hatch games didn't last very long. None of us had time to run it. And it more or less just kind of, I'd say fell apart, but it wasn't even that. It just kind of, it just kind of lost momentum and just kind of went by the wayside. And we all got busy doing other things and everybody had families and it just, we just didn't have the time to, to dedicate to it. Uh, so we ended up with a bunch of extra copies of the game. And that's why I did the giveaway the other day um, because I found the box. And I said, oh, wow, I forgot we had these. And, I, you know, and I, the story about it is so important to me because it is important to people. And uh, what's it's funny, uh, Chris, who made uh, The Wretched, he bought a copy of the game before we ever knew who each other were. I, I don't even know how he did. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what caused him to do it or where he came across it, but he's got a copy of the game that hundred percent we sent to him or sold to him at a convention or something. I don't know. I don't know how he got it, but he's got one and I don't, I, it, and we're talking a year or two before I knew him, I guess, realistically. So I don't know how that happened, um, <laughs> but, the, but it's, it's a, you know, but it's, it's a, it's got a really, really special place in my heart. Now that, that game, I wouldn't say is a very metal game or anything like that. So there's a perfect example of how not everything has to be, uh, not everything has to be one way. Not everything has to be grimdark. There's nothing grimdark about that game. That game's a silly one for sure. And I'm super, super proud of it because it does what it's supposed to do. It gets people to tell stories. And, you know, and everyone always says, oh, if it helped one person, you know, it was worth it. Look, that game cost a lot of money to make. We lost money hard on that. But I guarantee you, every, all four of us that made that game believed that it was worth it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit here and 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 tell you that you know. 
oh, it, it paid for itself. No, it absolutely did not pay for itself. But what we learned from the experience, what I learned about game design and what I learned about what is and isn't important in games, I, I don't think I can put a dollar figure on that. So I, I definitely... I definitely am glad that I did it. And I'm glad that it's getting in people's hands a little bit again, because, uh, because I am proud of it. And I, and I do think it's important because storytelling is, it, it's everything. I think all the tabletop RPGs and everything we, we do is all about telling stories. And so it's just, it's a, it's a tool to facilitate that. Um, unfortunately, we never got a chance to do any of the other, other games that we were working on um, realistically, but um, I would love to do more, uh, physical games like that, you know, card games and such like that. Uh, it's hard. There's a lot of a lot of moving parts to that. You really need a, a team that knows what they're doing. If anyone's listening and is interested in that sort of thing, get a publisher. Anyone who says that they they enjoy doing it themselves obviously has more time than I do. It's hard. It's real hard. <laughs> but if you've got someone that knows how to how to do that. And can, and can help you bring your idea into the light. That's that's so helpful, and I and I, I think that's a hundred percent a valid way to do it. Is uh, as you said with the wretched, it's a lot of people then just didn't know they could make something, and then you kind of give them permission to, and they do. Once you give people the path to, to to do it, once it becomes a little bit easier, it's amazing the cool stuff that they can make. So I, I really would like to do more of it, but. Uh, I just I'd have to find the right the right uh, the right publisher and the right people and stuff like that. But uh, I, I encourage everybody to do it though. Make something, make something, because you'll probably never be more proud than when you make something. At least I, I that's for me at least. No, I, th- I think just storytelling is such a such a like a powerful thing, and as you said, like you talk about, um, uh, like permission i think that mm-hmm. is it's like it's such a cool way of putting it because it is both in game design and i think while playing games specifically like um tabletop rpgs and stuff it's the the systems of a game like give you not all, only the the tools to do it but sort of the encouragement and the permission to to make a thing mm-hmm. and i think that's mm-hmm. So that's such a such a cool thing about this, this hobby and this. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't think most people get hung up on. Most people will say, "Where do I start?" I don't think that's what most people really get hung up on. I think they're really getting hung up on. How is it like? This is this a thing I can do? Like, is that is that is that something people want to see? Is this is this is there a? I don't want to say a market for it because it's not necessarily a money thing. But like, is this a is this an avenue I can pursue? Like people that want to write for D and D, do they know about the open games license and the, the SRD and all that? Most people don't. And the people who do have a lot of questions because it's a legal document and it's scary. Anytime you see a legal document and it's written by some big corporation, you're going to be scared. What can I, what can I do? What can't I do? That sort of thing. I, you know, that I, that's where I think the permission part comes in. Sometimes you got to just tell people, yeah, people do want to see this thing. And yeah, you can make pretty much whatever you want. Just go ahead and do it. Now, is it going to be great? I mean, parts of it probably. Is it going to have stuff that you're going to learn from? Yeah, for sure. You know, but that's like any skill. You're going to get better. You're going to get experience. You're going to, you're going to learn more. But most people 
like I said, they have a cool idea and I don't even think it's a question of where to begin. I think it's just, they don't know. They don't know it's a thing they can do. Like if, you know, there's probably people out there that, that want to make a game. I don't know, a game about whatever. And they just don't realize that, Oh, you can just go make a game, you know? Cause like growing up games were board games and stuff. Who, who makes board games? Nobody just makes a board game unless you're Milton Bradley or somebody, you know, one of the big companies it would be unheard of to make a board game. And yet, especially nowadays, yeah, you can just do that, but you got to have the right contacts and everything, of course, but you know, you don't, you, you don't need permission, but some people are still looking for it. And so I think it's good to, that's why I think the game jams and such are great because it's like, Hey, I'm telling you, yes, you can do this. Now go ahead and do it. And then look at all the people that do it. And that's, that's so cool. I love seeing that. Yeah. I think uh, specifically like, indie rpgs and stuff where you can you can kind of like you find a game and it's like looks really pretty and it's like it's big book and it's this thing and then you mm-hmm. look at look it up it's like it's like who made this i was like it's just this one guy yeah <laughs> it's like hi i made this game um, i know i know and i'm i'm so jealous of those guys like like uh mork borg which i realize is more than just one person i realize that's a team but like God, that game's so pretty. I will God, never that make anything pretty. that pretty. It's oh so good. God, it's so <laughs> good. Look, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I have I have played a game of Troika set in Morkborg. It was not the Morkborg system or anything. I, I'm Honestly, it was fun. Don't get me wrong. And I love Troika. I, I absolutely love Troika. That's, that's another one of those. I wish I could make something like that kind of things. But the Morkborg thing, it wasn't even really... The, the setting that got me, even though I very much, very much do love the setting and, and it's very much my, my aesthetic, it was the way it was presented. It was the way that the, 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 the tone and the themes and the, the art and everything, was, they were so passionate about it and the way they presented it that I absolutely loved it. The other one that I'm, <laughs> I'm still waiting on is uh, uh, Ultraviolet, Ultraviolet Grasslands. I love that game. That, oh my God, everything about that game speaks to me. I'm still waiting on the soft cover uh, to show up because now the U.S. Postal Service is going sideways and I may never actually receive it. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But but that's one of those, like the amount of passion and care that went into making the game, making the game what it's supposed to be. You know, it's, it's art and it's a game and it's all these things the amount of care that went into that, that speaks, that resonates with me so deeply that I can't help but love it. Um, and I love to see people doing that. And, and to get back to the, the wretched and alone stuff, I think that, I, I think that you saw a lot of that. I think you saw people make games that really represented who they were and that speak to them that didn't know that they could do that or how to do that. And finally they had an outlet to do it. I certainly did. I mean, I've written stuff for D and D and I've written all sorts of stuff that all kind of had the, the same themes, but I never wrote anything that I could say. If someone said, how do you feel about games? I point to terrain and hell and say, that's how I feel about games. I never had that before until that came, came along. So any of these, uh, the game jams are, are such a great way to do it. I love itch. Uh, I'll plug itch right here. It's, it's such a good platform. Um, it, it definitely makes stuff like that possible. There's certainly a room for growing 
the big, you know, the, the big stuff out there, like the pathfinders and the D and D's and the stuff like that. There's certainly room to expand on all that kind of stuff. And that's, and that's a lot of fun and I still enjoy doing it. But if you want to make something that really, that you can really be proud of and really feel good about and really feel that, that really resonates with who you are and everything. Sometimes you just got to go make your own thing. Sometimes, and that's the other thing, by yourself. I'm not saying always do stuff by yourself. I love working in a team. It's my favorite thing to do when it's a good team. I absolutely love that experience. But sometimes you got to just do it yourself, learn the tools, do whatever you got to do, but have that one thing that is just a pure distillation of your vision. Not everything has to be that. In fact, I, I would suggest against making everything, trying to make everything like that. I would, but I would say at least once everybody's got to do that. Uh, whatever that looks like, whether it's a RPG or whether it's a board game or whether, I don't know what, whatever it is, you got to have that one thing that, that, that speaks to you kind of a, almost a totem of sorts that you can say, this is, there's a lot of me in this, you know, um, there's a, there's a pride that comes with that. And there's a fulfillment that comes with that, that I just don't know another way to get that honestly. And so I, if, if anyone takes anything away from this today, a hundred percent, it's that make something you're proud of and, and do it yourself, do, do as much of it yourself as you can. I mean, like I'm not an artist. I can't, I can't draw. I use a lot of Dean Spencer art with my stuff. He's, he's amazing. Uh, you know, you may have to outsource a little bit here and there, but like as much as you can build it yourself as close to a hundred percent as you can, just so that just so that you know what you're about, if nothing else, and then let everything else be some reflection of that or whatever. But until you kind of, and you kind of asked that question in the beginning, but until you know what you're about, you're going to stumble around a little bit until you find it. And so I, I, I sincerely hope that everyone can find it sooner than later, because the sooner you know what you're about, the sooner you can make cool stuff that you feel good about, you know? This be, this being so hopeful. This is such a feel-good conversation. <laughs> I, 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 that's, hey, that's that's all. It's exactly in line with what we've been talking about. Yeah, exactly. things are horrible out there. But by the end of this conversation, I sincerely hope everyone looks at it and goes, "I can do something good." <laughs> you can go go make a thing and do it yourself. Yeah. We and believe it's funny in you. too because yeah, <laughs> I, I am not a I am not a uh, uh, how would I say this? You know, I'm I'm not the motivational poster kind of guy. You know, I'm not going to get up and, and tell everybody, hang in there, you know, and all that. That's not me. I'm, go, I'm go pretty, do it on Twitter, pretty... like a, a picture of a lake with a quote on it and a fancy bomb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> no. Like, I, I, just, I just got the bad kind of goosebumps at that one. <laughs> but, um, you know, something I, I, I tell people a lot is we're all in this mess together. And I, I have I have very strong opinions about how uh, I, I honestly believe that people have been set against each other to battle it out, you know, politically or whatever. I think that we, we've all been set against each other and, and who's doing it. I don't know. I, I don't I'm not some conspiracy guy or anything, but I do know that we all have some very basic experiences, um, storytelling being one of them for sure. Um, we all have some very basic experiences that we can all share and all relate to. There is no reason in the world we can't 
uh, find that common ground. Even at a, a very basic level, there's there's always something you can relate to somebody with. And I, I think we forget a lot of times that nobody nobody wants bad things. I mean, maybe there are some people out there that want evil, you know, true evil. Maybe I don't know. I've never met anyone like that truly. Um, but I think most people really do want good things. They just nobody can agree on how to do them. If we can sit down and play a game, tell a story, whatever these basic human experiences are that we can relate to, if we can do that, and I was going to say sit across the table, we can't do that right now, I guess, but you know, virtually or or whatever. If you can, if you can sit down with somebody and actually play a game and 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 have that moment of, oh, I get it, it's a person just like me, even if you disagree or whatever, I think. I mean, I hate, I hate to use the phrase, but I think the world would be a better place. I, I really do. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, playing games will save the world. I'm not, I'm not naive, but I do think it would help. I think if people could just get past all the BS and actually uh, find that common ground and realize that, you know what, we, we, we actually can have fun together and we actually have a common goal. And we're, here we are telling a story, the most basic of human things. I, I think a lot of good comes out of that. So that's about the extent of my, my touchy feely, you know, lake with a quote over it kind <laughs> of thing. Uh, I do truly believe that. But, but again, that's in line with all the other stuff that we said earlier. I, there's hope. There's a, there's a light in the darkness and you have to, we're all in this mess together and we have to, we have to get there together. We're not going to get there fighting each other. We have to get there together. And if games are the way to do it. Okay, cool. You know, I hope it is. Storytelling is how it works. Fine, whatever. I'll take what I can get. But I think, I think, I think we can help each other, and I think there's tools to do it. And I think, I I think uh, the world we're in, the tabletop RPGs and stuff. I think that's one of the really good ways to do that. So here's to hoping, at least. Yeah, yeah, and I think like like you said, there's there's a very like you, you can feel like a bit silly doing it. Like you're like just going like, oh, playing games and telling stories is gonna save everything, <laughs> and that can come out as a right. bit of like a platitude. But I think that it is still, yeah. On on some level, it it is like the truth. There's it's like there's it, something it, there's something can, to that, right? Yeah, like just yeah. sitting together and telling a story yep. is can just be a really positive experience. It's. It's also one of those things. That's all you need. I, I, I'm a firm believer in nothing unites people like a common enemy. Um, and yeah. you know, 2020 is all of our common enemy right now. But <laughs> I, but if you if you have a game and you're all playing this game, and if you all at least have a common experience, something that you can all share in, and take it take a an RPG, a tabletop RPG, for example. If you're all in a group and you all have a common goal. Already right there, you've done something. You've you've made a step in the right direction. Whether the people, whether the players like each other or not, which you'd like to think they do, but you know, maybe they don't. But that common experience of, hey, we all took a step in one direction. Now, maybe, you know, I'm not saying it's always perfect. I'm not saying it's always ideal. I'm not saying all players get along and everything. Maybe you have a toxic experience and it's horrible. Okay. That 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 can all happen, yes. But you still got something positive out of it. You still got, 
we were working towards a common goal. We, we you know, you, you, you've spent some time with somebody else that maybe you don't agree with. I don't know, but you did technically, it, it's a start, I guess. And that's kind of how I feel about it is, you know, yeah, telling stories isn't going to save the world necessarily, but at least it gets it moving in that direction. And then well, let me go this way. Telling one story isn't going to save the world, but if you tell enough of them, it might, you know, you may have to think about it a little abstractly or whatever, but you're not going to, you know, you're not going to solve world hunger by telling a story. But if nobody ever knows about world hunger and you don't tell that story, then it's never going to get fixed and it's got to start somewhere. And I, I do think, uh, I, I, I very strongly believe that nowadays we are more connected than we've ever been. And simultaneously we are less connected than we've ever been. Um, because things like text messaging and even discord and stuff like that, a lot of times you're putting words into a magic box and then words are coming back at you and there's another person on the other side. Sure. But your brain does something. I, uh, one of my degrees is in psychology and I, I can tell you from what I, what I learned a hundred years ago in school, but you know, and just, just observation there, your brain reacts differently to different stimuli. And one of them is when you're looking at a person or, or even just hearing their voice, that is a drastically different experience than it is in seeing text. You and I talking here are having a drastically different conversation than we would have if we just did it over Discord typing. It's it's not the same thing. Your brain does different things and responds in different ways. Um, it's the same reason when uh, people are trying to psych themselves up about something, if they're, if they're nervous about something, they go look in the mirror and they say, you can do this, you can do this. That is a totally different experience within your brain than it is if you're just sitting there with your eyes closed saying, you can do this, you can do this. Your brain physically reacts differently. So having that interaction with somebody, hearing their voice, seeing their face, that sort of thing is totally different. And as connected as we are, I mean, I can pick up my phone and text my dad right now and say, hey dad, what's going on? And he'll text me back and say, you know, everything's fine, whatever. That, that's convenient, certainly. We're very connected. But I also haven't seen my dad since quarantine started. I would love to. Uh, the fact that the fact that that's different in my brain tells me that there's truth to that, right? The fact that I'm like, hey, it's nice. I can talk to him. I can text him. But I want to talk to him on the phone or I want to see him in person. That just goes to show you. So it is good that things like Discord and, and Google Hangouts and stuff let you see other people and that sort of thing. But ultimately playing games with somebody, engaging with somebody, hearing their voice, hearing, seeing their face, you know, with a look of consternation or whatever. I mean, just whatever it is. I think that we've gone so far in the other direction in a lot of ways where we don't have to interact with people directly that I think we've kind of forgotten that people are people in a lot of ways. I think there's something very dehumanizing about it. And, uh, I think that has a lot to do with why we are where we are now. Um, I th but at the same time, I think playing games and telling stories realistically is, 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 is you know, uh, fantastical as that sounds. I think playing games and telling stories m puts those connections back together. I think it helps you remember that people are, in fact, people with real feelings and thoughts and emotions and motivations. And I mean, I guess that's empathy, right? I mean, empathy is good. So, yeah. 
games and stories develop empathy. And I think it's a basic skill that, that a lot of, a lot of people are lacking. And I, I think it helps put that back together. So I, I'm not going to sit here and like you said, I'm not going to say games will save the world, but man, they're going to help. I think so. I really do. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. Guess we'll see <laughs> how the, how the year goes on. Yeah, pretty much. Uh. So uh, currently, I'm spending most of my time working on uh, a couple things. I've got NDAs on that I can't actually talk about, um, but I'll let everybody know when when that is out. Um, but uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, it's just at Falk Cody, F A U L K C O D Y. So just my name backwards. Um, I'm fairly active on there. Uh, as much of a trash fire as Twitter is, <laughs> it's. Uh, it's a good place to find my stuff. My portfolio come, uh, has a link to all that. And uh, uh, I intended to be doing a lot more um, uh, third-party D&D type stuff in the near future. And I've got several ideas for some games uh, that are cooking that I just need to find the time for. So stay tuned and, uh, you know, obviously follow and stuff like that if you'd like to, to see what I'm going to be up to. But that's about it. Now, now you just got to go make a tweet with a picture of a leg <laughs> now, now I am going to <laughs> exactly that's, that's the best piece of content that's going to come out of this <laughs> that's, the, that's the truly sad part it's going it's yeah. to get a thousand likes you know it's oh. why Harvard <laughs> why would you do this to me why would you do this <laughs> That is all for now. As always, more content to come. Thank you very much to Cody for guesting on this episode. And thank you to you for listening. You are exceptionally wonderful. The song you're listening to is the cover of Rules of Nature by Little V Mills. Links in the show notes. Till next time, have a good one.